0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this chance to be in this place today, Lord. So many times your spirit has been active in this place. So many people have come through these doors through the years. Lord, we're the ones here now. Help us to be your disciples in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 6. I want to read it to you again. You just heard it a second ago. And we're going to be in a lot of different texts today, so you're going to want to be uh, quick with your Bible turning, uh, with your your page turning, and I'll try to give you a heads up as we go from text to text, but Luke chapter 6 is where we're starting, beginning in verse 12. In these days he, we're talking about Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, there's a number of things we could talk about from this passage. For example, maybe we start with the first verse. It says, in these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. We could talk about the prayer life of Jesus, and particularly the way he spent dedicated time in prayer before making big decisions. He was about to make a big decision here. He was about to choose the 12 apostles. And he saw fit that night to spend that night with the Father in prayer, getting his mind right before he made those choices. We could talk about that. Or maybe we could talk about the actual apostles themselves. I mean, we could... We could turn that into a 12-part series, probably, although some of them would be a little harder to come up with material. But, uh, but, but we, could focus, we could focus on Simon, whose name becomes Peter. So that whole idea of, of Jesus giving you a nickname, kind of an interesting thing. Uh, same thing with, with James and John. He, he gives them a name as well, the Sons of Thunder. We could talk about Simon and Andrew being brothers and the interesting reality of how that took place. And we could we could throw James and John as brothers into that discussion as well. That's pretty remarkable that onto this team of apostles, God would bring brothers. What does that say about about Simon and Andrew? What does that say about James and John? What does that say about their families? What does that say about where they came from? It's an interesting reality. We could talk about that. Or or maybe we could talk about the one who's identified as Thaddeus in Matthew and Mark but is referred to as Judas the son of James in Luke. Why that distinction? What's going on there? Of course we could talk about why was Judas Iscariot selected at all? And, And some of these topics they might be interesting to many of us but other than to note that those are possible ways we could go today that's not where I want to spend my time in fact we're going to use this passage more as a launch pad than something we're really going to focus on because there's something I want you to see in this passage that's relevant in a larger context, and in, in, in the end, will come down to being relevant to us as individuals. So, we're continuing this slow walk in the book of Luke. And so, the previous two weeks, uh, we had stories about how Jesus was breaking the Sabbath rules. Two weeks ago, was it two weeks ago? I think it was. We talked about how human needs matter more than the Sabbath rules. Last Sabbath, we talked about doing good on Sabbath is not breaking Sabbath, but plotting evil on Sabbath is. Before that time, we wrestled with the fact that Jesus suggested that a new thing was happening and that some of the old behaviors, whether they were good or not, might not be the right way to behave now. We can't just transport what was to what is and have it turn out well every time we've seen times in this in this journey when people were excited about Jesus and times where Jesus made them angry there have been times when many people thought to follow Jesus and other times when many people thought to turn away from him but there was always a core a core group with Jesus called disciples. Yet I want to suggest to you that we have often been too narrow with this word disciples, assuming that when I say disciples, I'm talking about the 12. Sometimes we've defaulted there in our minds. Sometimes the Bible does refer to the 12 as the disciples. But usually when that term is used in Scripture, even in the Gospels, it's actually referring to a larger group. Now let me give you a couple examples here of what I'm talking about. The first is an example of where the term probably is a narrower group. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. You can turn there if you want. It's close, but it's not critical. It says, one day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples. There it is. That's our key word. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. All right, so assuming boats are only so big, right? So if Jesus got into the boat with his disciples, we're probably not talking about 100 people here. Plausibly, he's talking about the 12. It may have been more, it may have been less, some may have been in another boat. It's not necessarily clear. But So we can see from that reference Disciples can be used to talk about a smaller group of followers. But now look at this one, Luke chapter 19. We're in the same book, same author, same writer, using the same word. Luke chapter 19, verse 37. As Jesus was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, now look at this next phrase, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him teacher rebuke your disciples he answered I tell you if these were silent the very stones would cry out all right 12 guys is a lot of guys and I can imagine if 12 guys were shouting that might be kind of loud But I don't think it would be loud enough for the Pharisees to be upset about it. So I think what we're seeing here, the whole multitude of his disciples is not the twelve. There's a whole bunch of people who are shouting and praising God as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And that whole multitude is called disciples. So we see the point that there was the twelve who were among the disciples but then there were the disciples as in a much larger group which is a point if you were listening closely you would have detected in Luke chapter 6 the text we read when we began so let's go back there Luke chapter 6 verse 12 in these days Jesus went out to the mountain to pray And all night he continued in prayer to God, and when day came, what did he do? He called his disciples, and what did he do? He chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So if Jesus chose from the disciples twelve, what does that imply about the disciples? There were more than twelve. Imagine if there was just 13, how bad would you feel? No, there were more. Who knows how many more? It doesn't say. Okay, clear enough. But why would I bother to make this point? Well, for one thing, to free up our minds about who were the disciples of Jesus. It wasn't just 12 men. And in fact, there is a passage just two chapters further on in Luke chapter 8... A particular passage that Alicia, my wife, wrote an entire master's thesis on that might change the view of some on who exactly were disciples of Jesus. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, Okay, so we have a specific reference to the 12. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others. And the many others, if you're reading it in Greek, is a feminine form. It means many other women. And many others who provided for them out of their means. So here we have the core of Jesus, his his entourage. There's Jesus, there's the twelve, and then there's a group of women. And that was the group. So maybe we need to rethink our assumptions about disciples. It's interesting who gets the specific mention here as being important among the disciples. There probably were some more. And in fact, as we get further on here, you'll see something that suggests, in fact, there were some more. But it's interesting that specifically Luke mentions the women who played this role, not just of being with Jesus and taking care of Jesus, but literally supporting the ministry of Jesus. Because the fishermen weren't very well to do, but I suppose the wife of Herod Stuart probably was. So if the twelve were disciples, but so were many others, what is a disciple? So a very simple Wikipedia search can help, though for the record thousands of books have been written to try to answer this question. So, the word that we translate disciple in Greek is mathetos. And the definition of that word is one who is rather constantly associated with someone who has a pedagogical reputation or a particular set of views. That's just a fancy way of saying one who is a teacher and a certain set of views. So, you are a disciple. If you have become associated with a teacher or one with a certain set of views, you're rather specifically associated with that person. Oh, he's a disciple of that teacher. We have already seen that the Bible mentions there were other kinds of disciples. There were disciples of the Pharisees. There were disciples of John the Baptist. Remember, they're the ones that were unhappy because Jesus And his disciples were not fasting when they were supposed to. So there's disciples out there. They follow different teachers. And we have disciples of Jesus who follow Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. Now, this word disciple that we use comes into the English language by way of the Latin word, discipulus. So the Greek was mathetas but by, Latin, by the time Latin came along it was discipulus and that's what came into our language and it's a word that meant learner but not in the narrow sense of student you see I can go to anybody's class and I can learn from them but that doesn't mean I'm their disciple I am not committed in my heart to them and their teaching I'm just taking a little information from them and I'm moving on and I'm taking a little information over here. I don't become a disciple until I am focused on that teacher, focused on the message of that teacher and attempting to live my life in accord with what that teacher is saying. That's a disciple. So for our purpose today, let's use this definition. A disciple of Jesus is any person who commits themselves to learn from Jesus and live according to what Jesus teaches and how Jesus lived. So you're going to learn from Jesus, you're going to live according to that learning, and you're going to seek to live like Jesus lived. But now, to that end... Let's add this about apostles, because Jesus goes to the disciples and he names 12 apostles. Narrowly, the the definition of an apostle is one commissioned to carry a message. So we could say that apostle is a subgroup of disciple. We'll talk about this more in a minute. But first, Why did Jesus call 12 to this special apostleship from among the larger group of disciples? Well, for one thing, when Jesus was on earth, it was impossible for Jesus to engage all of his disciples on the one on one level that was needed in order for them to learn what they would need to learn, in order to do what they would need to do after Jesus was no longer there so he could not do that with 70 he had to have a smaller group that he could invest in and while many in Jesus day were called to tell about Jesus there was to be an inner circle with a specific mission that they themselves would not fully understand until after the resurrection of Jesus in fact in Matthew we find these specific words. So Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be there for a second, so if you want to turn over there. Matthew chapter 28. This is after the resurrection of Jesus, and the women have gone to the tomb. We start in verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay." Then go quickly and tell his disciples, so we get a general term here, that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, interesting term, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, it's not entirely clear from the passage so far who the angel is referring to here as disciples or who Jesus meant by brothers, but here's what happened, at least according to Matthew. Down in verse 16, Matthew 28, 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Interesting. Interesting because you remember what happened to Judas right so now it's not the 12 anymore so the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them and when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted now there may have been others we don't know for sure something that we're gonna read in a moment would suggest there could have been others around at this moment but specifically it mentions the 11. And it is specifically to this 11 initially that Jesus gives these words that you probably know extremely well. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the basis statement. Now here's what's supposed to happen. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, so now turn to Acts chapter 1. We want to connect these words with the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1. So turn to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. All right. You probably know this, but let's mention it just because it's worth mentioning. It is, it is understood that the book of Luke and the book of Acts were written both by Luke. In both places, he addresses it to Theophilus who may have been an individual, or it could be a general statement. The name means lover of God. But it probably was an individual. Anyway, it's addressed specifically to Theophilus. And he says, in my first book, which would be the book of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. We have reference to the apostles. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So here's the special mission that Jesus gave the apostles. They were to be the ones who knew for sure that Jesus lived, Jesus died, And Jesus rose from the dead. They were the ones who knew for sure. They were to be the key witnesses. As Jesus will say in a couple verses down. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So, so this was the purpose. This is why the twelve were named. They were to be the official witnesses to the reality of the resurrection, and as eyewitnesses, they were to go and tell the world about Jesus, as Matthew wrote, making disciples of all nations so now just a little aside here it's kind of interesting in one sense Mary Mary of Magdala was was in one sense the first apostle of the resurrection she was the first literal eyewitness of Jesus after he raised from the dead and she was sent to the 11 so it's kind of a cool reality even though the 11 had this official function in many ways Mary was was the first true apostle who knew Jesus lived, knew Jesus died, and knew Jesus rose again. Kind of a cool thing. But now, as evidence to the fact that the eleven, because it was the eleven at the time, were to be witnesses, notice what happens shortly after Jesus ascends back into heaven. So we're still in Acts 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers The company of persons was in all around, uh, about 120. So now think about this for a second, because this makes the point that I'm talking about. There's the 11, but they are a subgroup of 120 disciples. You see that? See, there's the 11 who are called to be special witnesses, but there's still 120 disciples. They're all still there. And he said, brothers... The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So now catch these words. This is fascinating what's about to take place here. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. You see, they're going to make the number 12 again. But do you see what they did? We're back in Luke. Jesus called the disciples and chose 12. Now one of them is gone. So Peter's saying, all right, we need to go back to the bigger group that's been here from the beginning. And apparently it's more than just one guy because they come up with at least two names as a possibility. Someone else who has been there from the baptism through the life of Jesus to the resurrection, to to the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So apparently there were others who actually saw. And so they're, they're looking for one of them. And they cast lots, an interesting way to make decisions. We would be uncomfortable with that, I think. And Matthias is chosen to make the number 12 again. Because why? Because he'd seen everything from the beginning to the end. He was a witness. That's what the apostles were. They were the witnesses. And this witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus and the reality that he lived and the teaching everyone to obey is what they did, what the twelve did. In fact, go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. You will see in this exactly why they were appointed. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. And here's what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The job of the apostles was to say, no, I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. He's real. there's a very poignant moment in the book of John after Jesus has been resurrected. And he comes and he appears to the disciples but Thomas isn't there. And Thomas says, no way. I can't witness to his resurrection until I see him with my eyes. Until I touch the nail print in his hands. Until I put my hand in his side. No way. And eight days later They're together again, and Jesus appears. And he says to Thomas, Thomas, come. Look at me. Touch me. Hear me. I need you to be a witness. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And he says to Thomas, because you've seen, you believe. But then he says something else. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Because that would be everybody else. We needed the twelve who had seen. We needed Thomas to doubt. And then have his doubt confirmed. Or not confirmed. Have his doubt overthrown. So that he could tell us what happened. They were the witnesses. And we are the believers. The believers in the message that they carried. Now ultimately this idea of 12 apostles it would actually go beyond that and you can see this in 1st Corinthians chapter 15 I'll give you a second to find that 1st Corinthians chapter 15 now we've got Paul involved and this is Paul writing 1st Corinthians chapter 15 now listen to what he says here for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Do you remember what they were to witness to? The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And now, what is Paul saying? The most important message I have for you is that Jesus came and lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. This is the message. This is what the apostles were to witness to. Verse 5 and that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas. That's the Uh, Aramaic version of Peter. It means rock. Then to the twelve, kind of an interesting statement because there actually weren't twelve at that point. It was actually eleven, but we'll give him a pass on that. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Okay, we're not talking about James, the disciple, the, the apostle here. We're talking about James, the brother of Jesus, who would become significant in the church later. So we wouldn't get a special message reference to James if we were talking about the Apostle James. So this is, then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, not sure who he's including there, but now catch verse 8, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me okay why is he saying that well because when Jesus was literally on the earth Paul was not on board in fact even after Jesus had gone back Paul was a supporter of the persecutors he was not born an apostle at the same time the others were so because of that he had to have his own revelation of the risen Lord so that he could be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus presumably he saw Jesus live presumably he knew Jesus died but he needed his own revelation and that's what happened to him on the damascus road you remember that right he's on his way to persecute and a bright light comes he falls to the ground he says why are you Jesus says why are you persecuting me and he says who are you lord he says i am jesus who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into town. i got work for you. And he became an apostle, a witness on that day. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. That's how apostles work. They preach, we believe. That's how it works. They're the witnesses. They saw Jesus. They know he lived. They know he died. They know he rose again. They told the story, and we believed. And here's where this sermon now becomes about us. Jesus appointed apostles so that we would become disciples. See how that works? Jesus appointed apostles so that we would become disciples. And in truth, you are able to become disciples at a deeper level than even the ones who were at the edge during the time when Jesus was literally walking on the earth. Let me explain that. The fact that you are meant to be disciples is contained in the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We do that up there behind that screen. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We do that in here. We do that in our, in our connect groups. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The purpose of everything we do here at this church is to teach people about Jesus and see that they become disciples who believe and do the things that Jesus does. That's why we're here. We probably do a lot of other good stuff in the midst of doing that, but if we did all that other good stuff and not this, we failed. We're here to teach people about Jesus and help them understand his teaching and live according to the way he taught. That's why we're here. This is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll give you a second to find it. It's a good passage. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. It says, and he gave the apostles. That's what we've been talking about. And he gave the apostles, but now he adds more. The prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why did he do it? To equip the saints. That's another word for disciples here. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what we're doing. We're growing up into Jesus. And every one of us is a piece of it because every one of us is a disciple. We believe in Jesus. We seek to understand his teaching. We seek to live according to his word. That's what a disciple is. So the purpose of all of this is so that you and I will truly become disciples. And as I mentioned a moment ago, we are actually advantaged in this above and beyond those who were, were not of the 12, but were on the edges when Jesus was on the earth. Why is that? Watch what happens here. John, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. These are the words of Jesus before he dies. 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. John gives five chapters. Yeah, five chapters. to, to a discussion with his disciples the night before he's taken away from them. John chapter 16, verse 5, Jesus said, Now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, and this would have been impossible for any of us to have believed if we were there that night. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Would you have believed that? I wouldn't have believed that. No way. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now catch this, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. The teaching was not done. They just couldn't handle it yet. But now look what he says. Turns out I'm not going to have to be here for you to learn. He says, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he was a man on earth, was in one place. But guess where the Holy Spirit is? Everywhere. Jesus, when he was on earth, could only bring 12 around him to really teach on that deep level. But guess what the Holy Spirit can do? The Holy Spirit can guide everyone into deeper truth. And that's why Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm telling you, you don't believe me, but it's to your advantage I go. Because as long as I'm here, I'm in one spot. But when I go and the Holy Spirit comes, I will be everywhere. And now Jesus is everywhere through the Holy Spirit. Jesus mentions the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1. And tells the apostles to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the spirit. And then in Acts 2, the spirit comes and we find these words. It's actually a quote from the Old Testament, Joel 2. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on 12 people. Is that what it says? No. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And when those assembled that day heard Peter say these words, they asked what they should do, and here's Peter's answer, Acts 2, verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's where we end today. Five things. The first one is really a heading, and then the four come underneath it. Number one, Jesus wants all of you to be disciples. Not just 12 guys. Jesus wants all of you to be disciples. And here's how it works. Jesus wants all of you to repent. Jesus wants all of you to be baptized. Jesus wants to forgive all of your sins, all of you. And Jesus wants all of you filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants. He wants you to be disciples. I'm going to ask the band to come back up because we're going to sing here in a second. So yes, Jesus chose 12 to be apostles, but the reason was so that you and generations before you, and until Jesus comes, potentially generations after you, people like you, so that we would be disciples. That's why he chose 12. And Jesus has now sent the Holy Spirit To seal this reality. One more text. Ephesians chapter 1. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to. Ephesians chapter 1. It reads like this. Verse 13 and 14. In Jesus you also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Jesus. So when you heard the word of truth and you believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. When you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the promise of what God will bring when Jesus comes again. Jesus is calling you to be a disciple. Not 12 guys 2,000 years ago. You, right now. Jesus is calling you to be a disciple. What are you saying to him? He says, I want you to repent. I want you to be baptized. I want to forgive your sins. And I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I want you to be a disciple. What are you saying to him? Now this Holy Spirit, this... Old Testament in Hebrew, it was the Hrema. In the New Testament, it was the Pneuma. The spirit. But it's an overlap word. It also can mean wind. It can also mean breath. We found out that it means the seal and guarantee of our inheritance. So if you've believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the breath of God is in you. The Spirit of God is with You believe it? Do you want to be a disciple? Jesus is calling you. It's his spirit in us. It's his breath in our lungs. Let's worship the Lord.